In this episode, Maddie Devine, VP of Finance at Bevy, speaks about leading finance in a remote first organisation, the importance of automation in preparing for scale, and why diversity is at the core of Bevy's hiring strategy. Hi, I'm Ross, and this is the CFO Playbook. Each week, you'll get insights from world-class financial leaders to help you grow your company, yourself, and face the challenges required of today's CFO. Maddie, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Happy to be here. So Maddie, I'd love to start and learn a little bit, hear a little bit more about your journey because it's an unusual journey because it's not very often that you get the pleasure to chat with a finance leader and um, a VP of finance that started off as a teacher and an algebra teacher at that. Yes. So can you talk a little bit about how you navigated that weird and wonderful journey from being a teacher all the way through to now being the you know a finance leader at a rapidly growing scale up in the US? Yes, absolutely. It's not every every day that people have the pleasure of graduating from undergrad in the midst of a financial crisis, but that was my experience. So I actually started, and I am based in New Orleans, which is pretty uncommon for people in my position. The reason for that is because I actually did a teaching program, Teach for America, that was where I was placed in New Orleans back out of undergrad. And I left a couple of times, came back, and now I'm working for a fully remote company. But yes, I did start in education and then quickly kind of pivoted from teaching to the business operations side of a school. I actually helped to open a charter school in New Orleans at the point where all schools were going under charter, which was a very interesting experience. And through that, it was very entrepreneurial. I kind of realized I wanted to pivot in my career and went back to business school. So I went full-time to Duke, graduated in 2014, and went straight into strategy consulting. So very common path for people who are kind of Um, (laughs) unsure of where they want to be long-term is maybe the nice way of putting it, but it was a great experience. I was with Accenture in their consumer goods strategy practice, but actually what I was focusing on mainly over the course of the three years that I was there was on large-scale strategic budgeting projects. So we worked with really, really large multinational companies with very ubiquitous brands on their strategy about how they spend money, where they want to invest and where they want to be very efficient in in their spend. Consulting is is a very interesting and fascinating career from a work perspective, but I was not one that wanted to do long-term travel. You're, You're staying in hotels four days a week. So I spent about a year trying to figure out what I wanted to do next, which I was really intentional about figuring out where I could be very strategic and have a lot of ownership, but also be in a really high growth organization in a function that I had access to be really a part of everything. FP&A in particular finance was an area I actually got my MBA in finance, but had not intended to actually practice until I realized how strategic it was. So I actually found a company, one of the, the most successful startups that was founded in New Orleans, a company called Lucid that's in the market research industry that was looking for their very first hire under their CFO and fp and And it was a really fascinating experience helping to build out a team and really understanding and getting very on the ground floor of all of the different ways that the business was struggling to scale. And a lot of them were just foundational. So everything from data to process to operations. And I am just a very operationally minded person. So I really enjoyed that experience. I got the opportunity to work in various different parts of the company I supported some of our global functions. I worked on 
revenue. I switched over to supporting our engineering and R&D functions in corporate areas. So I really did get a very broad, but also very deep experience across the business, which was great. And then around the time that the pandemic started, I was starting to think about my next opportunity. And then this was kind of the whole world of remote had opened up and being back in New Orleans and and not really wanting to leave. I I bought and renovated a house. I wasn't um, trying to pick up and start all over again. Remote work was just a really great opportunity. And I found my way to Bevy, which was at the point in time that I joined, I think there was only about 60 people. And Derek Anderson, our CEO, was looking to hire in the first level really of leadership team. And so I joined as the head of finance where there really hadn't been anyone in that function before. So it's been, I've been there since last September. It's been really fun. It's been really challenging. One of the things that I like about being in finance and being in FP&A is you're really laying the groundwork for the business overall and helping to shape the path. And, and I know that we'll talk about this a lot today, but also just building the ability to scale, which in a high growth company is really critical. As a category as well for Bevy, uh, like virtual communities and virtual events, that they're of all the categories that uh, you know have seen dramatic change through the pandemic, up there with food delivery and a few others, it's gone through incredible shift. Yes, I joined about a month after we launched our virtual conference product, which, or before it was, it had capability, and we had our first really big conference. I think right after I joined. And one of the things that, I mean, the the category is exploding, but one of the more exciting things also is just how quickly we are able to pivot our business. It's a really nimble group of of people. And in particular, our CEO just is very visionary as it comes to where the future of the business is going and is always on top of being very strategic and intentional about the decisions we make. So yes, it has been a wild ride being in such a high growth category at this point in time. And it's been really Interesting to also be doing that in a remote company. We're fully remote. We, they were fully remote before the pandemic. We drink our own Kool-Aid is what we like to say. We are a virtual organization. So building community, we kind of have to do for ourselves in addition to like helping our customers with. So it's a very interesting company to be part of in particular at this time. And so then what has that experience been like? So switching to like a remote first organization where you have a distributed team. And of course, you're in a leadership role where you're having to build functions from scratch. So often and historically, you know, the, the almost the Silicon Valley hero story is, you know, a lot of smart people in a room building things from scratch where you have that experience. You have a lot of smart people in the virtual room, but you don't necessarily have that same intimacy of being in the same space. How do you, as a leader at Bevy and how did Bevy approach that challenge? That's a great question. And hiring is so important. I was lucky enough to bring on somebody I had worked with previously as my first hire. So I knew that I needed, and I was very intentional about it. I knew I needed somebody who could just start running at hundred percent because that's what I needed in order to keep up with all of the demands of where we were sitting, especially in the early days where we really didn't have many real tools and systems and processes around a lot of our core functions within finance. Since then, I mean, like I said, hiring is so important. I have spent, I just brought on a controller and a director of FP&A. And those two hires were really, really critical for me. We have an in-source and outsource team model. So we work with an outsource team that does our bookkeeping. So what I'm really trying to be intentional about building is a kind of a future of finance model team where you have more senior leadership that is 
crafting the vision and being very innovative about how we actually build a function that's scalable and not just trying to, for lack of a better phrase, throw bodies at the problem and have hires be the or people be the solution for it. And I think that that has helped a lot because we're almost this brain trust. We're extremely collaborative. We work very closely together. And so that is really helping, even though we're remote, there is just a really close and tight knit group that is dealing with kind of the broader strategy. And then we're working to rely on automation to operationalize a lot of it. I love the term as well, like future finance model. And I guess on one, it's a double-edged sword. So on one side, there's a huge advantage of not having to tear out legacy and change process because it didn't exist. But on the other hand, building stuff from scratch is, is hard. Like there's a lot of effort that has to go into that. So that when you're thinking about building in that automation and, and you said like you had essentially like few systems and processes, if any, where did you start? Because you look at the to-do list and you know, it's endless. Yeah. So what did you choose to prioritize? The foundation. And I went through a similar project when I was at my most previous company where we started with the chart of accounts and said, hey, is this working for us? And we revisited that. We started with systems and processes around our existing CRM. So invoicing was a huge area of priority. Revenue is king. Like we're kind of always reprioritizing, but the priority is always for us, revenue and new contracts. There were a couple of areas like sales commissions and certain processes that were in place that were just not scalable at all. And so for those, it was really starting from scratch. But ultimately, my philosophy is that in order to scale a function like finance, you basically have to start with your data. So you have to start with your CRM, which for us is Salesforce. You have to start with all of the the data that you're gathering from that system. You have to start with how you're your own structure and the way that you view your business and make sure that's aligned with how your investors, how your company operates, how everyone is thinking about and viewing the business. And we started there. And then building on top of that really is easier because you've dealt with the underlying, I like to call it accounting debt because I worked for a technology company and supported our CTO. So tech debt was a big topic. But there's really kind of this foundational work that needs to to be working correctly in order to build stuff on top of it. That was a huge priority for us coming in the first couple of months. And to do that right took a lot of time because there were burning priorities every day um, and things that needed to be dealt with. And that was really the challenge was in the first, I'd call it six months, was being able to make significant progress on some of our long-term projects at the same time as making sure the business was running. That has been definitely hard work, but we're reaping the benefits of it now. I appreciate the term technical debt. I, I think every company has it, but we, funnily enough, I'm, I'm also what I like to describe as a recovering consultant. <laughs> I think we were actually at Accenture at the same time, but yeah. given that it's quite a big company, it's not a surprise that our paths didn't cross. Within that, that idea of like not having that, or you have accounting debt, process debt, but you, you didn't necessarily have the technical debt because you were putting everything in place like from the start. But I guess that even just for that concept to be in your mind, when you're designing things, you'd use the phrase, which I really like, the ability to scale. But presumably you're you're thinking, I don't want to just have a solution for the next six months or 12 months. I want something that can last several years and can really scale and grow with the finance team and of course, the broader business. Exactly. And candidly, I don't think I'm doing my job if I'm not thinking about where we're going to be in three to five years and understanding all of the different insights 
people always think finance is this big insights engine, but you can only have insights if you have the underlying data that's going to actually reflect what you're trying to analyze. And that work is very underrated in terms of its importance. We have a, a wonderful sales operations team, the best I've ever worked with. And that has been really great. They're an excellent partner and we're equally minded in our desire for for structure, process controls, but also just making sure that fundamentally we have the building blocks in place so that we can learn from the business as it grows. And you also touched on another topic, which has come up with previous guests. And and one of the previous CFOs that was on had a background as an analyst in investment banking. And when he moved into the the company he's at now, he's mentioned they had a lot of accountancy skills, but they weren't necessarily doing the analysis and the strategic advisory role. And what his advice to others was to try and think more as an analyst than an accountant and get that balance right. Now, you lead both of those teams, of course, because you're leading the FP&A team, which is inherently uh, analytical and advisory, but you're also leading accountancy. So how do you balance up those two worlds? Because in some ways, they can require a very different mindset, even though some of the skills are very common. So I think there's really two ways that I'm doing it. The first is, like I said in the beginning, we are outsourcing our bookkeeping. We're outsourcing in areas where it's not critical to our business or our business model. And also the second piece of that is hiring. You know, I've seen that people always get a rap for having a bias towards accounting or finance. I have hired a team, even our controller has a, was most previously in FP&A at Honeywell. Our accounting manager, who I worked with previously, actually hopes to switch over to the FP&A side once the accounting processes that we're working on right now are really up and running. And so obviously there are pieces of accounting that can be strategic and it's not that I want to in any way provide a bad rap for accounting, but I'm building a team that should be, if it's working and if it's, if we're setting the right priorities, a team that is focused on analysis and business insights and making sure that all of our processes and controls are in place so we don't get distracted from what we are trying to accomplish as a business. And that's not just as a team within finance, but as a business. I've also, I think, worked in in organizations where accounting has to be very complex because there isn't enough intention about scaling within things like contracting. And you get to the point where there's too many exceptions and then it kind of breaks And then you have to throw bodies at the problem. You need people to, you need there to be a large team that supports it. And, you know, there always is going to be a need for exceptions in certain places. But when I think about the tools and the systems that we're trying to put in place, it's with the intention that like we would be able to accommodate exceptions in certain areas. And we're still providing kind of the guidelines and, and the rail bars around what is an acceptable exception and what is going to actually break process and and make it very difficult to support the business in a way that we're not just focused operationally and like tunnel vision on operational accounting and more on thinking about building a business that can really grow and meet all the demands of our customers. It's apt that you mentioned customers at the end because what you're describing is, of course, the building almost a culture of business partnering within finance. And I'm sure that's a key role for you as well, that and your CEO will look to you in an advisory capacity as well. 
is that something that, again, that you see as a core part of your role as a head of finance? Is that to be not just thinking about, of course, your core responsibilities, but like trying to look across the entire business, advise the business leaders, but also the CEO on strategy and investments and so on? Exactly. I mean, I, I couldn't have said it better. Business partnering is also what I enjoy the most. And it, to me, is where finance and FP&A in particular can really help. I attended a session a couple of weeks ago that Ned Siegel, the CFO of Twitter, was talking about kind of his path to CFO. And there's this quote that kind of stuck in my mind that's related to business partnering, which is around decision making. And he basically said he figured out that he didn't have to be part of every decision and he didn't have to he didn't have to say yes or no to everything. What he could do is create kind of the tools and systems to empower the other business leaders to run their businesses. And I think that's such an interesting way of thinking about it because there's really two approaches that I have seen that finance can take. One is fueling growth, which is where we want to be. Like, let's create the systems and the tools and the parameters to make sure we are financially managing the business in a way that business leaders are empowered with visibility to make decisions. And the second, which is I think what people default to because it's the way things have been done, which is kind of controlling growth or trying to feel like you have to say yes to everything and or no to everything and really have your hands in every pot. And it's not that that approach isn't needed in certain businesses. We're lucky at Bevy to be well-funded. We just completed our Series C. We have great investors. We have a great board. And they're really enabling us to, to focus more on fueling growth rather than controlling every little detail. But I think that that, that quote sticks with me because what it, it makes me think about is how can I help the business make better decisions? And it's hard because right now we don't have, for example, a financial planning software in place or other tools that enable visibility for our business leaders. And that's really the next priority and iteration of, of, of my team is doing that. And finance gets the rap sometimes for being the yes and no man. And no certainly has a place in the business. I don't want to sound like that's not an appropriate tool to use, but it's easier to say no when you give somebody the full picture. And it's easy to, to realize, even for yourself, if you have the full picture sitting in front of you, that it's fine if you say yes. And you, if they're saying they really need something and it fits within the plan and they understand the trade-offs that they're making, then that's their decision to make. So it's also just really important to work well with other parts of the business and to build really strong relationships because ultimately we're all on the same team and, you know, we want the same outcomes for the business. And I think that has been a really positive aspect of the culture at Bevy. We're also lucky to be in an earlier stage company. So we're, we're setting that tone and I want to be very intentional about that tone in particular, which is that our role is really to support the growth of the company. You touch on, I think, what is almost a philosophical debate about empowerment versus control. Different leaders will approach it different ways. But then, of course, I guess that the ideal is that you empower your partners in, in the business, the, the business leaders across your team, and your team always have visibility. And there's certain parameters, so things can't go off piece too much. Is that a balance that you are mastering at the moment or you're, you're still trying to strike it? Or perhaps it's one that you never truly get perfect and you swing either way? What my team is focused on right now, in fact, is implementing a tool that basically will, it's a payment solution for our side of the business. We're using a company called Airbase, where you're, you're basically able to set funding limits for different departments and give them the power to spend money in certain areas. 
and provide visibility into that spend and approvals around it. So it's controlled. There are controls and parameters around it. There's never a perfect balance. No finance leader has full visibility into the business at any point in time, at any moment in time, and gets it perfectly right every time. But what we're focusing on are creating the controls and, you know, implementing the tools that will make it easier for that decision-making to happen in a way that finance has kind of signed off on without it having to hold up the process of getting certain decisions made, which I know that I have seen very many different philosophies on and work in different ways. And I've also been on the other end of, you know, wanting there to be 20 approvals on every decision that's made. And it just makes it difficult to mobilize and to operationalize if you're on the business side. So I think for where we're at from a growth stage perspective, it doesn't make sense for us to implement that type of control. You mentioned earlier on, something I was going to come on to is that you used the line like revenue is king. And so the first thing you're looking at, and a lot of the priorities you mentioned were connected to that top line, you know, looking at the CRM, looking at the way that you're invoicing, working with sales operations and so on. And I understand why that would be critical because if you're, if the top line is growing healthily, kind of everything else can take care of itself and you can optimize that over time. But then of course, with that solution that you're mentioning, you're also focused on a degree of cost management and spend management. And so what was it that led you to, to actually saying, actually, of all the things that we've got to do right now, that this is the time for us to invest in something like this? That's a great question. The reason for it really was it's a broad accounts payable solution. So it does all payments. And we, of all the tasks that were the most manual on our team, account AP is just number one. We get hundreds of emails. We can talk a little about tools and systems, but Email is consistently a problem for accounting. I am more newly exposed to it now that I'm running that team as well. And we wanted a solution that was going to automate AP. Once we started looking at solutions, we actually found that we could broaden the scope of what we were looking for in terms of not just an AP solution. So there are plenty of AP solutions out there. Really, what about if we take this a step further and look at spend management as a whole? And once we started looking at solutions that were able to do spend management at a whole, the whole, there was a really unique FP&A component to some of the, the tools that were in place, especially around budgeting and giving people kind of, you know, the ability to ask for permission rather than forgiveness, expensing things, but also give them visibility into like, oh, here's your team building budget. Use it wisely rather than people coming to me once a week asking for X or Y for, you know, this or that. And really just giving them the visibility to be like, hey, this is what we're working with. If it's not enough, let's talk about that. But we know this is what you can work with for right now. It's also beneficial to my team because we don't have to have those conversations every day because we're giving them the visibility into their different areas of spend. The same, especially in, you know, our CMO for the marketing team, it's really important because, you know, our marketing budget is our marketing budget. I want to empower our CMO to make the decisions and the investments in areas he, he sees fit and giving him the added visibility into how he's spending the money today, where it's going, and then, you know, creating the approval so that he can understand the trade-off decisions for himself without, without a partner needing to be involved is enormously valuable because like I said, we're still a very small team. And until we get to a point where it's easier for us to, you know, facilitate a lot of these discussions, Going back to what I said earlier, we don't need to be part of every decision. We need to give the visibility and the tools so that people understand their own trade-offs. It's interesting as well that you you mentioned that 
you had a, a specific problem, but the reason that you ended up choosing this particular platform is that you were already thinking multiple years ahead. So had you not been doing that, you might have actually chosen something very different or you might have maybe implemented like a different process. But because you're trying to prepare for scale, you felt ready to choose this platform because it could scale with you. Exactly. And that's very important as we grow and it won't stop being important, but it will make it so much easier if we think about that now rather than in a year. Who knows where the business, where the team will be in a year. Obviously, we have our plans, but you know, we want to make sure that we're thinking through the decision because implementing tools is very time consuming. I, you know, I think about it as the way that people say retention is is a good thing because hiring people is expensive and having turnover is expensive. It's the same thing for tools because you spend your own time on top of all of the other priorities that the business might have at any point in time and invest it in building a solution. And it's very important. I mean, especially at the stage that we're at, I mean, we could have all different growth scenarios that could happen. And if we're not in a place where we can support or at least be one step ahead and, you know, enable that type of growth, then it's very challenging to, you'll all, we'll always be in our heels because our business is just growing incredibly quickly. Another great example of this is there's consistently a debate among finance leaders about QuickBooks and how long you can make it last and when you need to upgrade and things like that. And, there's just not a lot of complexity in our business model. And that's a good thing in some ways, in most ways, I think. And so what we're really trying to do is come up with innovative solutions so that we can make QuickBooks last for a while. It's working for us. It's not obviously uh, people, when I was hiring people on my team even were like, oh, QuickBooks, when are we going to, when are we going to upgrade? But the solutions that we've really put in place are ones that are gonna make QuickBooks last. One of the big ones right now is we're looking at employer record services so that if we want to scale and grow globally, we can do that in a way that we don't have to, we're not on the, you know, on our heels staring down a solution where we actually will not, will not be able to operate under a QuickBooks solution or something similarly where we would need multiple entities and consolidations and things like that. So those are the types of decisions that you need to understand where the business is going to be in a year, in two years before you can effectively make those decisions. You have to also go back and reevaluate those decisions all the time. There might be a reason to make that choice today, but you also need to look, keep looking down the path of where the business will be in a year, in three years, and think about not what's the date you will absolutely need it by, but when will you have the time? When will when will it be a good solution? Like when when do you have the capacity to actually invest in that type of solution outside of just doing it and making sure that there's enough time on the back end for it to be up and running before it, before it would need to be live to support the next iteration of the business. I've got this image of you like with like selecting QuickBooks and then there's just been a huge countdown timer yes. with different people perceiving of how long it might be it might last for. I think that's how many finance leaders view <laughs> QuickBooks. But candidly, you know, and I have a consultant that I've worked with who I talk to regularly and we've talked about this topic in particular and he's it's like yeah, 100 million dollar revenue businesses can live on QuickBooks, you know, if you're thinking about the right applications and systems and tools to go on top of it. And that's and that's the nice thing about being in such a simple tool. Obviously, the business at some point, if it does get to a different level of complexity, I need to be two steps ahead of that so that we can start making that pivot. And that's what I find so interesting as well, because 
something has to give. So when you are thinking about your time or your team's time, if you invest in this next platform, whether we're talking about QuickBooks or other areas and other tools that you run with, you almost have to sacrifice potentially some of the strategic advisory role that you have. So then you're saying, okay, I want to implement this solution. It can allow us to automate. It can maybe allow us to prepare for scale. But on the flip side is we can't business partners effectively in the short term because we have less capacity in the team and you probably have less headspace to be able to do that. So that's a challenging uh, trade-off. It is challenging. It is also, I keep going back to hiring because my team is my most important asset. That's something I looked for when I look for a controller, somebody who could help me. And it's somebody who's been on the other side of it and worked in a highly complex system and knew what the requirements would be. Also, we'll, you know, get immersed in our business, understand where we need to be, and then we can set a path forward. I keep thinking about single points of failure on my team and who who can only do one thing. And, you know, we're a very small team, so that's an important topic in my head. I also don't want to be a single point of failure. And I don't want it to be a trade-off between implementing an ERP and providing insights to the business. We have to do both. And so I need to make sure that when I'm hiring, I have the right team in place so that we can do both and we don't have to necessarily sacrifice one or the other. And obviously there, you know, things might not run as efficiently during such a significant process, but that's not an acceptable answer to the business to say, sorry, we're just going to go offline for a couple of months and get this done. So, nor would it be anywhere. So it's important to make sure that we're thinking ahead, but also set up for success or setting ourselves up for success. And with that, it's clear that you, one of the priorities you have as a leader is is using technology as an enabler for you to set up the team and, and the whole company for scale. And, and perhaps there is an influence there, you know, of your background working with Accenture and others like that you have such a bent towards technology. But what this touches on is this theme of the digitization of finance, which again is a recurring one and, is, and I think is picking up pace. It, this, it seems to be with the number of solutions and players and the growth in fintech. Is that idea of like digitization of finance and, and the digitization of payments and money and so forth, is that something that you see and subscribe to? Or do you think it's actually overhyped? I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other, but I know as I view my business, there are, I think, yes, going back to consulting, I think about it as a typical in, you know, in-source, what has to stay in our building walls and what is not strategic that we can think innovatively about. That might be outsourcing it to other people. It might be bringing in consultants, it might be automating it through a solution. And I personally have never been one for manual work where it can be automated. It's not a very good use of time. My brain is just like always optimizing for what's a better way of doing this. So I think I just as a person want to push myself as a leader to think about what is the true problem and what are the possibilities in terms of how to approach it? Root cause analysis, like what is really driving this issue? And what are some crazy ideas or what are some not crazy ideas or what are some possibilities and what are the pros and cons to each of them and then make a decision on what makes sense. I think what's working for us right now is having a smaller team where we have a lot of brain trust and are relying in areas where we can get tools in place that will do a lot of, you know, the more manual work for us. So we can actually think about, like I said, the next tool, the next system, the like next iteration of where we need to be getting ahead of new products or new revenue streams or new business lines, that's where we're adding value. And instead of being kind of stuck in having 
very valuable employees be posting AP to QuickBooks. Yeah, I, I can imagine. A big piece of this is like the identification and selection of, of those tools and those technologies. But that, again, is, is a lot of time and effort on top of the day job. You're perhaps a, an edge case, but I'd imagine for many people working in finance, they wouldn't necessarily have that skill set, potentially not even that interest. So the role, what often comes in here is the role of IT, if your company has it and how they work. Is that an important part of delivering that type of transformation and preparing for scale is to have the technological advisors to help you in that selection process? I've certainly had, and I've gone through obviously vendor selection processes. I've been on the other side of vendor selection processes and I still think I learned a lot in the past nine months while at Bevy about that. We actually went down a invoicing tool solution and had to change course at a certain point in time. And that, you know, that was not a fun experience to be part of because we were delayed in terms of our implementation because we had to change vendors. But what that taught me was really how to better approach vendor selection and what are the requirements and, and what are the ways to approach it? Because I think it was a challenging lesson at the time to go through that and to back away. But I think the lesson that I took in backing away was that I trusted my decision to back away and realize that like we, that we could have made it maybe work for a year, but it wouldn't work for two or three. It is more time consuming than I ever could have imagined. We were looking at several different solutions at the same time. And that it felt like for months at a time, that's all we were doing on the, on our team. It was surprising to be honest. And we're still implementing two of the solutions and it's taking a lot of work, but we have to see the light at the end of the tunnel and we have to believe in the solution and the process because we won't get to scale if we if we don't make sure that we're very intentional and dedicated to making sure that we're building something with our partners that works. That makes complete sense because you, I think you can tell with that one that you backed away from, you probably checked your instinct and then there was something that was off and you, you know you had to step back from the brink on it which I think like trusting that instinct at the time, even though there's all of the effort, the sunk cost of the energy and the effort that your team's put in, you know, again, that can be quite a challenging thing to do. Yes, it was not an easy decision, but it was the right one. One of the other things I wanted to touch on as well was that you mentioned about the, the importance of uh, starting with data and, and placing data at the center of the way that you operate within finance and of course, delivering those those insights to to the business. How is it that you approach that again as you as you scale working across different platforms and, and then with all of these various priorities, it's very easy to slip into the, the reporting, just actually trying to identify the truth, but not the interpretation and certainly not the forecasting, which in, uh, in the current climate, you economic climate is quite challenging uh, for different reasons. How do you approach that balance of actually trying to empower the teams and deliver insights in a way, in an environment where your team is incredibly stretched? That has been a challenge recently, honestly. And I think we haven't gotten it correct maybe yet. We have our new director of FP&A starting in the next couple of weeks, which will be a huge addition. And again, I keep going back to hiring, but I have an enormous confidence with the woman that we're bringing on, she has worked at large and small companies and has actually implemented some, some of these solutions before. So I'm very excited to have her come on board. But that, I mean, that was a huge need. And when that was a role that was very difficult for us to fill, or maybe not difficult, we met with lots of different candidates, but going back to kind of instinct like this, the woman that we ended up hiring is somebody that I feel like will be able to, to, to run with this and balance it. But I will say, reflecting on that, one of, one of the challenges, especially because I have an FP&A background, so I feel not just as a team lead, but also just from a professional standpoint, very personally invested in insights and also have been kind of bearing this 
it's been challenging to balance that in terms of other priorities with things that are going on. I feel a little bit guilty that we haven't been doing as much of that candidly. And, you know, the lesson for that for me, this is my, you know, my first role as a full team lead is that it can't sit with me because if it's sitting with me, then there are other things that are not happening. And so that to me has kind of been my takeaway in that area was just making sure I can hire, you know, deputies that are, that I trust and that are going to be able to do as good, if not better of a job and can really own that process. Because when you're very stretched, it's very difficult to be an individual contributor and a team lead and a manager all at the same time. And so that has been, that has been my lesson over the past two months in particular. And in fairness, actually, and I know it was just before two months ago, but you had just gone through a big funding round. So typically that requires an outsized level of energy for the finance team in particular. Yes. In a perfect world, there aren't single points of failure. So I need to create a team where single points of failure do not exist. So there has to be kind of that that ability to like scale and flex and, and make sure that the operational tasks, insights, all of the different elements of what go into a finance and accounting team are still getting done. One notable thing about that fundraising round, and it was part of the announcement as well, was the the huge effort and thoughtfulness that had gone into ensuring that there was diversity within that funding round. And, and that and diversity seems to be a theme and, and almost a value that you're trying to build into the way that you scale up the company and the team. Can you talk a little bit more about your approach as a team and as a company towards diversity and the genesis for that? There's a lot of materials and I'm definitely not as eloquent as Derek, our CEO, but he was very inspired after George Floyd was murdered and all of the protests that came around it and really started to do an internal reflection on what he could do. And so we are very intentional internally. We hold a very high value on it. And I personally, I, I grew up in outside of DC. I always was really exposed to pretty diverse environments and diversity has always been something that I care deeply about. So it's a value that actually was one of one that attracted me to join Bevy, not just our Black employees or, you know, people with different backgrounds. And yeah, I think that we were very intentional about making sure that our money is where our mouth is, you know, not just talking about it, but actually making sure that we are providing opportunities for Black investors, providing opportunities for Black employees, being really intentional about what it means to hit our goals. We talk about our hiring goals, in particular around hiring Black candidates weekly during our leadership meetings. And from my standpoint, I mean, my team, all three hires I have made since joining our our Black employees. And I don't say that in a way as a anything other than a data point, but they're excellent people with amazing experience that were also excited about joining a company where they would be more represented and more meaningful. Like my team is, I have five people on my team and, and three are Black women. That is a really fun part of working at Bevy is just making sure that everyone is valued and that we're not just, like I said, putting it on a PR campaign, but actually making it a safe place for people and making it part of our community. I think it's incredible the commitment that you've made 
In a prior life, when I was at Dropbox, as with many tech companies, we were trying to commit to building a more diverse team. And I think this is shared across almost the entire tech industry. Hiring black and female engineers was extremely difficult. So the bias, especially in the engineering organization, was just extremely off. And there was recognition of this. And this was at the time, maybe five, six years ago. And it's a really challenging thing to get right because, of course, it relies on the whole the whole funnel in a way from childhood through college and so on and then and then into professional life. So like, how do you then as a team, given that you're in many cases, you have restrictions of the environment around you, finding the right candidates for the different roles, how do you approach that balance? And what, what do you do to ensure that you get those diverse candidates like for the roles that you're hiring for? Yeah. And I, I think, like I said, I'm not going to be the expert on this as, as the head of finance, but I am exposed to the, you know the approach that we're taking internally. I think a lot of it is making sure that we're we're pushing ourselves on being very intentional. So just not, you know, making sure we're have a pipeline of candidates. Our our recruiting team is amazing about reaching out to candidates and being proactive to make sure that we have that pipeline. And what we found with a lot of them, I mean, my most recent hire is a great example of that. We reached out to her and then she did her research and was like, wow, (laughs) this sounds like a place that I'd like to work. And like I said, she's got amazing experience and is going to be such a great fit both culturally and experience-wise on our team. And so we're we're really making sure that we have the pipeline of candidates. Obviously, there's you know some marketing involved to make sure that it's helping us in our efforts. But also, I mean, and I like I said, going back to me being a teacher in the school that I worked in, we're almost 100% Black and African-American. And a lot of it is just making sure that you're increasing education, investing in areas, but a lot of it is making sure that for entry-level positions, you're thinking open-mindedly about what candidates' skills are required to be successful in a role. Like, obviously, for something as skilled as engineering, it's a little bit more challenging. But there are a lot of roles in the company that don't require, in any company, that don't require having a degree that is exactly in that. My undergraduate degree is in English, and I'm the, the head of finance now at my company. I mean, you can have a different background and be very successful in a role if you're trained. So in particular, I think entry-level roles are some where people are only going to be able to build that experience and that background if they're provided opportunities on the front end. I mean, for us, like we're very intentional, especially with Black Lives Matter about Black candidates. It's a place that once they're doing the research, they're excited about. And it's not just a marketing tactic or a campaign. It's the group of people that we have in our company that work together every day. And it's not just about inclusion or just about diversity or just about like what this looks like from a PR campaign. It's, you know, it's, it's actually in the thread of every, you know, everything that on every team and every function, just having a better representation of people from different backgrounds. It's an amazing commitment. Maybe the, the, the remote model that you have for your organization actually plays into this even more because if you add another constraint, which is like, I don't know, you want to hire someone in the Bay Area or New York or London, you know, then you're you're restricted with that. It's another constraint. But the fact that you can hire people from anywhere, it just opens up that candidate pool and makes it far more likely that you'll be able to find diverse candidates. I couldn't agree more. And I, I was going to make that point and forgot. <laughs> I do think it really helps to have an open mind. And, you know, we're living in a post-pandemic world. So now it's easy to think about having a fully remote company or what that means or easier than it was, you know, even a year ago. And with that, we're really taking advantage of the fact that we can find candidates from 
all across the country. It makes it easier than just looking in certain geographic areas. Um, I agree with the constraints and it'll be interesting to see just what the future of the workforce looks like. Just, I mean, even outside of Bevy with, with remote work being such a huge component. I know for us, it has been a selling point. I mean, we've had, we've had a lot of people who are looking for remote work or need flexibility on their location or need to move because a family member is sick or getting older and they have to switch jobs. And so it's just easier to, I think, recruit for a remote company. Obviously there are trade-offs, but for me personally, I think it's made it a lot more efficient. That disruption that you're talking about, seeing what the world of work looks like when everyone settles into a post-pandemic world, it's fascinating because it's got several facets to it. One is the location, but the second is the concept of work-life balance as well. And a, a recent guest that we were talking with mentioned about the fact that their entire company, which is a large subsidiary, they had been experimenting with a four-day week. And even that experimentation is that that's another, I think the pandemic has just led to people examining the status quo and saying, okay, I, I may want to do things differently. So it, it will be fascinating to see how that settles in. Yeah. And I, I mean, for me, I think about why I left Accenture, candidly, or why I left consulting. It was completely the opposite of the current work situation. I was living in hotels, you know, four days a week or three nights a week. And I felt like I had no control over my own life outside of work. Whereas like now it feels like, at least for me personally, but also when I look at the market, it's that that model has almost been flipped on its head, which is, how can we make it work for you so that you can be a better employee? And I don't mean this as a, I think there's a lot of value that consulting can drive, especially being on site and working with clients, but it also leads to high attrition. And it's easier to meet people where they're at, I think for us at Bevy. And I think it has been a really positive experience to work in a company that's also fully remote rather than a mixed in-person and remote model because there's less exclusivity because everyone is, sitting in at home in front of their computer. You're not, you're not in a conference room where 80% of people are in the room and then there's two people on the phone and they feel like it's harder to get a word in or shape the agenda. So I think that that's also something that has been an interesting lesson for me at my last company. We had a large global presence. So we worked not remotely, but we worked with people in different offices often and had kind of the blend of, you know, people that would be physically present and remotely present and to me, one of the nice things is, is honestly that everyone is working from home. Going back to your consulting experience, maybe the time of dogmatic FaceTime yeah. is coming to an end because there certainly was a lot of that and there can be a lot of that in that, in that arena. Yes, I'm interested to see the future of where consulting goes for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Maddie, well, I may perhaps just finish with one question. So given that I guess you're that you're leading uh, finance and you're leading a team and building a team and preparing them for scale for others that are early in their career and that would like to emulate that path and become a leader in finance, what advice would you offer to them, especially given the all of the changing roles of the market and the environment that, that we've just talked about? I think that it's really important when people are, especially people who are earlier stage in their career, to look at their own skill set, what they're good at, what they like doing, and be really intentional. I think that there was, for me, some of the best next career moves I made were made about a year after I probably realized that I wanted to do something new and was really intentional about, first of all, figuring out what I wanted to do next, and then, then starting to create the path towards finding a new role or, you know, finding a new opportunity within a current, your current situation or just advocating for yourself 
whether it meant staying at your company or leaving. I made several career moves, team career moves within the FP&A department at my last company. And a lot of that was also just intentionality. I think that as you grow in your, and scale in your career, it's really important to have trust in your team and to build it, especially, you know, other leaders that are building teams. You know, you can't, like I said, there's just so much that you can't control and finance, you know, to, like I said, tends to get the rap for people who like to have control over things. And it's just so much easier when you come to peace with the fact that that's not, that's not going to be a reality and come up with a solution that's an alternative solution that can work better for the business and for yourself and your team. Just to close out that point, I mean, I think there's always going to be a balance between efficiency and control, and you need to, to figure out what that balance looks like for, for you and your company. No matter where you're at in finance or otherwise, but particularly within finance, it's really important to understand your customers and think about your customers because your customers are not just your customers. They're your business, like your business partners. They're your vendors. They're anyone that you're really supporting and engaging with throughout the company internally or externally. And the number one, I mean, this was a quote that I can't, I don't know if I can't validate the data, but it was something like 90% of support calls that SaaS companies get are related to billing. But that, that point is very important, which people often overlook the fact that finance is one of the main, accounting is one of the main touch points that our customers have with our business. And ease of doing business is better for everybody. It's better for sales. It's better for customer success. It's better for your team. And so it's really important to also have that in mind and to not lose sight of the fact that you're, you're playing a key role, even though you're viewed as a corporate function, you're, you're playing a key role in how the company operates. And in general, I mean, even in different career paths, I think it's always really under, important to understand who your customer is and who you're serving and try to make it a better experience for them. And then just the last piece is just, it's really important to advocate for scalable solutions instead of just complaining when things break and figuring out a way to successfully advocate for it. I've seen accounting teams break down, like I said, with lots of different exceptions or solutions or when they're not engaged as a a partner and that can snowball. And it's really just important to make sure that you can advocate for yourself and your team and make sure that your leader is doing that if you were not the leader I'm always interjecting myself in all these other things to make sure that we're we're taking the full scale solution into consideration. And I think it's important for leaders to do that and to be part of those discussions and to represent yourself as a team player, but also one that wants to make sure that you're serving the customer. That's great advice. I love the piece on being close to the customer because when you're in an operational role, it's so easy to not do that because you can feel removed. Even though we're not sure where the 90% comes from, it feels as if there's a kernel of truth in that. Yeah. Maddie, well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been fascinating to hear not only your about your journey, but some of the ways that, that you're approaching things at Bevy. If uh, listeners wanted to connect with you or follow you separately to this, where's the best place for them to do that? I can be reached at Maddie, M-A-D-D-Y at Bevy.com. Okay, excellent. Uh, thank you very much, Maddie. Thank you so much, Ross. One last thing. If you have a question you'd love to ask a guest, visit cfoplaybook.fm and submit your question there. This show is brought to you by Soldo, the brighter way to manage business spending and expenses. With Soldo, you can control every expense, track spend in real time, automate financial reporting, and then use those insights to fuel growth. Learn more at soldo.com.